Welcome to the Game Schooler Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Kotecki, along with my co-host, Dr. Michael McCabe. The Game Schooler Podcast is a weekly audio show that highlights the educational value of tabletop gaming. In this week's episode, we'll cover the Game Schooler news, Marvel United, our recommended game of the week, discuss cooperative learning and teaching rules in the school of gaming, and wrap it up with the High Five Challenge. How are you doing, Michael? I'm doing great. How are you, Doug? I can't complain. Life is good. Um, I guess we'll just, it's the first episode, so we'll just get right into the news, which is limited. All right. The Game Schooler news, we're going to take a look behind the scenes at Game Schooler HQ and let you know what we've been up to last week. Fortunately, since we don't have any follow-up from last week's episode, because last week's episode doesn't exist... I thought we should probably introduce ourselves on the the first episode. It's a great idea, Doug. And I am thrilled that we are where we are and that we're making this happen. It's been over a year since we started talking about this project. And a little bit about me. I've got three daughters and and a a wonderful wife, which I am not obligated to say. I choose to say that. I taught high school for the better part of a decade and also uh, kindergarten to grade eight, if you can believe that. They allowed me in those classrooms as well. Special education teacher and at-risk teacher and also taught gifted and talented. Uh, background is really in helping students with projects, what's called student-directed project-based learning. And I know that's enough edgy speak, but to my teacher friends out there, they know what I'm talking about. Uh, last four years, I've been a, a middle school principal, and I really became fascinated through coming to game nights over at your house of how games can impact children and families and, and how they connect to learning. So that, that's where I'm at right now and, and kind of what I'm doing, and I'm excited to get this going. I also want to talk about that little part that's at the front of your name that you didn't mention, that doctor part. That's kind of an important thing, isn't it? No, I, I love learning. I absolutely love learning. I'm a Creighton University grad. Go Jays! Um, I have my doctorate in educational, or I'm sorry, interdisciplinary leadership. I can't even remember what my doctorate's in. But <laughs> yes, I am, I am a doctor. But as I often tell people when they want to know real stuff, I say I'm not that kind of doctor. So All right, so uh, you can't tell me about the mole on my back is what you're saying. <laughs> no, you'll have to go to your wife for that. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, as all long right. as I know. Um, uh, who are you? My name is Doug. Um, you could probably say, I guess, I'm the resident gamer on staff. Um, you sure? There's only about 600 games in the room that we're in right now. Allegedly. I'll mute myself and listen. <laughs> allegedly. Um, I have a degree in theater, uh, but my most important job is being a husband and a father of three daughters. Uh, not going to try for that boy because I'm not insane. Um, in addition to game schooler, I also own a safety company. So... How that stuff all works together, your guess is as good as mine. Um, I was introduced to uh, modern tabletop gaming through Catan, 
But when I was introduced to it, it was called Settlers of Catan uh, back in the day. And I remember we were at, uh, we went to go visit some friends of ours. They just had a baby and they said, hey, you want to play a board game? And I'm like, yeah, what kind of lame dinner party is this? And they got it out and I'm like, what is going on here? There's so much stuff. And then we were playing and and we were driving home and I'm like, I love this. Mm. It was the first time that I had ever played a game um, where I had choices to make and I was controlling what was going on. And, and now in hindsight, there's quite a bit of luck in, in Catan, but it didn't seem like it at the time, you know, when you're yeah. used to rolling a die and going around the Monopoly board. So that would just like open up my whole world. So since that day, I have amassed more games than any human should ever need. Uh, and I surround myself as a blanket of games every night. Um, but they have a little bit of everything that I love. Uh, they have, there's, there's art, there's engineering in, in board games. There's, uh, just the, the package and the marketing of how it goes together, just all very fascinating to me. And I want to share that with as many people as I can, um, the way that it can bring families together and people together in an, in an offline world, especially geez, with the pandemic going on, you know, people have been separated. I feel like I've been living an entirely digital life for the past six or seven months. Um, and that, that importance of gaming and being together has just really been, been amplified through this past year. Anything else you want to add to that? No, the only thing I'll add is I love to play games and have since I was a kid, Uh, whether it's basketball, baseball, kick the can, ghost in the graveyard. And as a kid, yeah, it was Monopoly. It was Scrabble. And um, my, my story of how I'm here sitting at the table doing this podcast with Doug is that Doug and another person invited me over to a game night. And I thought, holy cow, these guys are super nerds. And then when I got here, guilty. <laughs> it wasn't just about playing games. It was also about doing things the right way, being kind to one another, collaborating together, teaching people how to play games, etiquette. Um, so my background is in really competing, you know, whether, and, and I've coached, I've been a varsity basketball coach at the high school level. And, and you're not going to redo and go down the sideline and say, would you like to try that again? (laughs) And so when I came to game night here a little over two years ago, what I found was um, something that I also really needed, and that was a balance to playing the game. And what I love about all the different games that I'm looking at here are they're all different. And and we're going to get into that a lot more later, but the differences in the games – that's where you can really push skills to kids and to adults, and, and people can learn new things from them. We need to kind of talk about what we do. Mm-hmm. And what we do is create a, a curriculum of sorts in what we call skill builders and discussion guides and, and different products like that. Um, these are things that are designed to help uh, educators and families and you name it uh, introduce tabletop gaming to kids and, f- and get educational value out of that. Um, and one of our main products that we have, they're called Game Schooler Skill Builder, uh, which a Game School Skill Builder is a guided lesson that works in conjunction with a tabletop game to provide families and educators activities, projects, and ideas 
to harness the educational value of some of the world's most popular games. Um, skill builders are designed by professional educators and avid gamers, so you can be confident that your kids are learning, having fun, and staying engaged. You don't have to be a licensed professional to implement a game schooler skill builder. We've designed skill builders to be comprehensive and easy to use. So that's basically our boilerplate definition of skill builders, but they're the core of what what we're doing. Yep. And the piece that I want to add into that is we also play test them. So when we have concepts for a skill builder, whether that's Pandemic or Ticket to Ride or Marvel United, we will throw out an outline to another educator and have them test to see for quality and ease of use. All of our skill builders include directions for the student and also directions for the adult facilitating the skill builder. We want it to be as easy as possible so that if a kid does get this at a library or a classroom or a scout troop and they have a mouth breather of an adult, if I can say that, I know this is a family-friendly podcast. We want you to be able to listen to this in the car with your children. But if somebody's a mouth breather, and you know, we've all had those as educators who have been in charge of us, the (gasps) we want that kid to be able to take the skill builder and actually go through it. At the same time, we want highly qualified families, parents, educators to take it and to see for what it is. Whoa, this is educational. Yeah, and it's a starting guide. It's a jumping off point. You know, it can be, you can run them as basic as you want, or you can add and embellish them at will. They're downloadable PDFs uh, that you can get right from our website. The other thing is they all come with uh, what we call game schooler notebooks. Well, the notebooks are, they're the artifact, the companion piece, the project guide that goes with the skill builder. And when you hand out the notebook to the kids, they're going to be excited to get to work on them. If a kiddo doesn't connect with one, they'll connect with another one. And the notebooks are engaging. They're also entertaining. And and we want them to exist in an offline world. You know, some of our early playtesting people said, well, did you think about doing this for video games? Or why don't you put this so that it's more compatible? No, no. We want to bring people together. We want people to be able to get away from their screens. And when you download a skill builder and, and see the notebook, I, I mean, I, I stand by it. it. They are a lot of fun to do. I've done them with my own kids. You've done them with your kids. Yep. Right? So another one of the uh, products that we offer are discussion guides. Michael, if you want to talk about those. Yeah, I do. I, I want to just take the microphone here real quick. And there's a time to do a real deal activity and take an hour and a half and play the game and make something and play the game again. And then there's a time to ask those questions after the game. And where our discussion guides really come from are the game nights. We would we would play board games until 11 or 11.30 and then spend an hour talking about the games that we've played. And Doug mentioned it earlier. I, I have a doctorate. What does that mean? It means at some point in time, I had to spend a lot of time learning how to ask questions. This is where I have to give credit to Doug. Doug's a really smart guy, and he is very good at putting together discussion guides. And we break them down. Each discussion guide is broken down into three different areas. And what it is intended to do 
is to get people talking about the game and the experience that they just had. And any of you who've been around kids, who have kids, who are an aunt or uncle to kids, you know that if you ask the right question at the right time, they're going to talk. And that's what our discussion guides are, are designed to do. One of the things that I like about discussion guides is you can use them however you want to. Mm. You can make this and do, you, you know, you can play a game and just take one question off of the discussion guide and talk with the kids about it. You can give them the whole discussion guides and say, hey, you're going to answer all these questions and give me a report back. It's up to you. Maybe you just want to, like Michael said, we have three areas. One of them is, is personal reflection on how they thought the game went, how they played. There's another section on strategy, game strategy, and, and different choices that they can make during the game and pros and cons and benefits of those. And the last part is game designer questions, which gets, which gets kids thinking about how games are put together, how they work, what would they change? Do they notice some of these things that the game designers have put in? Um, so both two really cool products are both downloadable PDF documents that can be purchased directly from the store at gameschooler.com and used however you see fit. Um, we are adding games constantly. So if there's not a game that you like now, there's going to be one in a yeah. week. There's going to be yeah. one in two weeks. And, and obviously we're building the business. We're building the company. We want to have subscribers. We want to sell products, but here's the thing. I think we need to take a minute and just tell you guys who are listening to us, and it might only be our mothers right now. This is our first episode, but to tell you about the mission, vision, and values of, of what we're really trying to do. And we have all of those pieces in place on our website. You can go and you can see them. But I really want to just get off the script for one minute, Doug, and, and just speak from the heart and tell people a little bit about the why behind what we're doing because board games bring people together and although educational games stink they're lousy every single board game that we talk about and feature has educational value and in that value lessons can be learned and we want to bring people together our target audience yeah homeschool library community centers, schools, K-12. We have several different target audiences that we're trying to get into to give these things away because we think that they are good for humans. That's, that's kind of the why behind some of the what. So we'd love for you to go over and subscribe, but I'll tell you what I'd really love. Go, go get the free skill builder. Go get it and check it out and try it and see if the naming the virus activity it, it is something that will work for you and your kids, your nieces, your nephews, your neighbors. This segment is sponsored by Funny Cars, a skill builder for Ticket to Ride First Journey. Have you ever heard a train that's far away and thought about what it was carrying? Have you ever been riding in a car when a train goes by and wondered what's inside that train? In this skill builder, your little gamers fill their own train cars. This skill builder is for grades two to four and teaches children creativity, confidence, and group discussion skills. What are you waiting for? Find out what's in those trains already. All right, well, the recommended game of the week is a family-friendly game we think you should add to your collection. 
that passes our stringent criteria for quality and content. Um, that's not a joke, folks. We really, we actually have a matrix that <laughs> that we sit down and, and go through of playtime, component quality, uh, Don't price. give it all away here, man. Yeah, well, no. I mean, there's seven secret spices in there too. But um, So when we say it's a stringent criteria, it is for quality and content. And this week's game is Marvel United by Spin Master Games and Come On Games. Uh, so according to the publisher... I'm just going to read you this is what the publisher says. Marvel United is a fast-paced cooperative game where players take control of Marvel superheroes and band together to thwart the master plans of the most dangerous villains in the universe. Um, Now I'm going to get into how you play a little bit. That's an important part of this. Um, The main goal of the game is to defeat the master villain, such as Red Skull or Ultron. Uh, To do this, each player is selecting a hero takes that hero's cards. Uh, each hero card has action icons that allow the player to move, attack, and perform heroic actions. Some of the cards even have special effects. You play one card at a time in sort of a timeline type thing, and then players are using the action icons on their card along with the icons from the last played hero card, uh, which allows for some cooperative combos uh, between the players. Players move from location to location, attacking thugs, rescuing civilians, and eliminating threats, which come in the form of minor villains. So your your lesser bad guys, like Bob the Hydra uh, agent, is one of the the lesser bad guys. He's a threat on, on one of the locations. Once you remove threats from the locations, heroes have access to new special abilities on each location tile. And once players have removed enough thugs, threats, or rescued enough civilians, players can attack the main villain. Players, well, just like every cooperative game, players lose a whole bunch of ways, especially if the main villain achieves his own win condition or if the players run out of their their hand of cards runs out. Um, So that's a brief overview. Did I miss anything? No, I think you nailed it in the overview there, Doug. All right. So what is your favorite part of the game, Michael? Well, I, I, I mean, I'm going to tell on myself all the time here on this podcast, but I really enjoyed playing the game the second time I played it. The, the first time we played it, you know, we unboxed it over here and, and played it. I, I thought, yeah, it's an interesting game. But then within the next week or two, the second time we played, I really enjoyed how when I play a card, your card plays off of the card that I just played. Uh, and I know in, in the in the game they talk about going for that story aspect of it, but that that was just very enjoyable. Uh, there's about three other things I'd like to talk about with it, but I'm going to throw it back to you. What's your, your favorite part of the game? Well, I'm going to piggyback on what you said. It's not on my—actually, it is on my list. Um, is the simple rules. Yeah, that's right. And that was— that was my thunder. Take it. That, that was part of— when we first brought it out, that we were able to pick it up and play it. We were basically just reading the rules as we played the game. Yeah. And yes, we played a lot of games, but it's approachable for families. Well, my number one on my my list is Incredible Rulebook. No, no, I just (laughs) didn't think you were going to go there. The rulebook reads like a beautiful comic. And... Doug is is really good, and this isn't just the praise Doug hour, but he's very good <laughs> at teaching games. Although, I, 
I'm confident in my teaching abilities, Doug. I feel like I could walk into most, I won't say all, but most schools in the country and teach a lesson, as long as there's a lesson they're prepared for me to mm -hmm. teach. But I'm confident in teaching. But teaching games is different. And this rule book is truly one where you can, if you have you know gamers 12, 13, 14, you can have them teach it to you. Uh, it, it's very inviting. It's available online. I like that uh, as well. So you can have multiple copies going. You know, open up yeah. a device at the table and. Um, yeah, there's not a lot of rules. That's the 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 complexity of the game, which there's not a bunch of uh, complexity, but it's not from the rules. The rules don't change. They're fairly simple, um, which is one of the things that I have as my favorite parts is the replayability. Mm. So even though the base game, I think it comes with six heroes, yeah. six heroes and three villains, um, the core structure of each hero is the same, but they all there's five. <laughs> Michael is clarifying that there are five. Um, the core structure of each hero is the same, but they play very differently. And especially if you know Marvel characters and you can look at those decks, you can see, oh, what they're trying to do, you know? Can I jump in there, Doug? That's the third favorite piece for me with this game is I have a major gap in my Marvel knowledge. I know Marvel in the 80s as an 80s baby and through about Iron Man, and I did see Thor. But then, you know, there's about a 14-movie period where it's yeah. a gap. Yeah, we you, we you were having <laughs> multiple children. I was going to school and working. Uh, so you and, just and fell off of the Marvel Cinematic Universe I, I did. I, have, I truly have 14 in my queue to get caught up on. What I have enjoyed playing this game is learning more about the Marvel characters. When I played this with you, when I played it with my oldest daughter, I, I'm, I'm learning. I mean, the first time you corrected me and said, that's not a villain. That, that's a hero. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Um, and, and that's a part of pop culture that, that I have a gap that's starting to get filled in. Yeah, don't start with Endgame. <laughs> no, keep, keep, keep that thanks, one for man. the end. Yeah, well, that's a pro unfortunately, tip. that's when I was teaching high school and the kids gave it away that day. I was like, well, okay. Guess I don't need to watch <laughs> the 17 movies leading up to that. No, you do. I, I'm trying. I'm, I'm trying. My last favorite part of, of the game is... The miniatures. It comes with beautiful miniatures. Now, I'm a nerd. I like to paint my miniatures, but there's a toy factor to these miniatures that, you know, you got you got a little 10-year-old boy. He is going to be all over those, yep. those figures. So um, that's my last uh, thing that I wanted to point out as a, as a strong suit of this game. Yeah, or a four-year-old girl, you're going to want to make sure you keep that game out of reach because your miniatures may end up with some LOLs or some other characters. Yeah, yeah. I or, went in the other day, and I was missing one. I was like, hey, wh where's Tony Stark at here? Yeah, don't let him fall on the floor if you're not wearing shoes. Because oh, that's like stepping no, on a Lego no. if you're going to step on one of those. It's worse than a Lego. Black Widow will take you out. All right, so uh, nitpick time. Okay. Is there anything families should be aware of before playing this game? So I only have one that I could think of. Um, and that's just, there's parts of it that are Marvel dependent. And I don't mean that you need to know Marvel, but it helps if it's an interest of yours. Um, I played this with one of my daughters and she's not old enough to watch Marvel movies yet. Mm -hmm. And so 
how the characters and villains work together, although very thematic to the, the comic world, were just flying right over her head. Yeah. Um, and that would be my only fear is, is like, well, if you're not into Marvel, I still think it's a really good, solid game. I do too. But it may uh, prohibit you a little bit. So if it were Disney-themed instead of Marvel, do you think your daughter would have been... She'd be all over it. Okay. You know, okay. It's, just, it's just a gap in understanding, and and maybe she's just not at the age yet where she's will, able to look past and appreciate the um, mechanics of the game. Yeah. No, that that's good. For me to, to nitpick, I don't have a whole lot here. The only thing that I will say, as with most of the games that we review... There are rules and there are constraints. And although it is an easy to learn game, I continue to make I continue to make mistakes when I play it just in the process. And if we were get to get into the nitty-gritty of the details, uh, each location has what what's it called, Doug? A location ability? Yeah, end, a, end of turn ability. End of turn ability. And in order to to use that to leverage that end of turn ability, you have to clear the thugs off of that card. Correct? Just the threat. Just the threat. And see, that's and I continue <laughs> to mess that up. I've played this game over a half dozen times, and I continue to want to use that ability right away. Um, so it's nothing on the game. That's definitely on the gamer, and I want to make that very clear. I'm also a colorblind gamer, color deficient, whatever term you want to use. I don't do well with colors. And this game is no problem at all. And so I want to do almost the opposite of nitpicking because of how symbols are used. I really, really enjoyed that, that part of it. Um, yeah, the more in the more you are into Marvel, I think the more you're going to love this game. I do look forward to a game like it coming out that doesn't involve the Marvel brand and the Marvel IP and trying it because I I, I really enjoy this game. I'm glad it's on our shelves. Yeah, I, it's certainly something I think they could swap the theme out fairly fairly easily. So it'll be interesting to see if that that happens. Um, on the surface, it doesn't seem like the type of game would be very educational. Mm. Um, we disagree. Uh, so we, Michael and I, have created a list of separate lists of five skills that we think your kids and students can learn from a game like this. Um, I did my list, no particular order. And we'll just chop it up here a little bit too, guys, just so you know. We we don't practice this. We don't script this part when we get into our top five, and we do debate. Doug and I will we'll go back and forth and break things down. Who Who's leading? You leading in here? Sure. I'll, uh, I'll start. Um, first one I put on was risk management. We classify that as a game which students must identify, evaluate, and prioritize options to reduce the impact of unfortunate events or risks. Um, the way that this game is working, the, the villain, the main villain's moving around, pieces are moving, thugs and civilians are getting added to the board, and you need to try and anticipate where he might go, what, he, what, the, ma- what the main villain might do. Um, and are you leaving yourself exposed in a vulnerable spot and trying to avoid those situations? It's a big part of a lot of cooperative games, but this one I think is, is pretty important. And and the way that the, the action icons stack on one another. Um, so that's why I threw that one in there. 
Yeah, the, I actually have that at the top of my list as well. Right. How the, how rare is it that we sync up on the on the top of our list? But here's the, remember, I put mine in no particular order. I, all right, as the at <laughs> uh, the top of the notebook, I should say, I have risk management for that aspect that Doug talked about last. When you, when I have cards in my hand, and I I want to play. Do I want to do two wilds here so that Doug can use the two wilds or should I do a move and attack and where I have risk management as a skill that's definitely in the game those decisions matter and I could see if I was playing this game with with my eight-year-old nephew and my my daughter or even throw in one of Doug's kids some of the younger kids would definitely want to show the hand and, and ask what to do but older gamers or even adult gamers that that sort of risk, that tension, that's the fun of playing the game and where some of those skills really are. Uh, and as a cooperative, it, it, I think it really does that nicely. All right. So the next one uh, I've got is tactical thinking. Yeah, um, it's on my list as well. All right. Tactical thinking, we have that uh, defined as a game that challenges students to make decisions based on currently available information. Um you are making decisions on what you know now. Things are going to change two turns from now. Uh, the cards that are coming out, the the threats, and uh, I'm trying to think of what the villain cards are called. Are those also called? Those aren't called threat cards. I'm not sure what they're called, but every three or two turns, the villain card, uh, villain's going to play a card that's going to mess up your plans, and you need to adapt and think on the fly, which is a, a huge part of tactical thinking. I also have that, and I don't have anything to add. You've got to be quick on your toes when you're you're playing this game. Can, can I throw a skill out there to see oh, if we're yeah. three for three? Yeah. Do you have comprehension on your list? I do not. Oh, awesome. All right. Well, I, I want to do a deep dive on this here. Anybody who's taught somebody to read or who has learned to read themselves – uh, knows the importance of comprehension. Comprehension and fluency are two critical skills. You know, fluency is how how smooth you say the words and how how many words per minute you read. But comprehension is do you understand the words that you just read? And how we define comprehension for us as a language skill, it's when a game bolsters a student's ability to process text and understand its meaning. And in this game, without where, where I really like it, with very few words, you still have to comprehend text. Your texts are in images and actions. And so there's a lot of decoding that happens in the game. There, there's it is, Just as we talked about risk management and tactical, tactical thinking, um, people have to understand what they do is going to have an impact not just on them, but also on the other player. That's why I have comprehension in here. Because in a lot of games, well, I'm going to play my two wilds. It's what's good for me. But that might not be what's best for you and your character on the next turn, so I have to take that into account. Well, I'm going to piggyback. I don't have that one on my list, but I have one. I think you set up perfectly that's on my list. And it's a rare. this is a rare skill that doesn't show up in a lot of games. Um, it only can occur really in uh, cooperative games, teamwork games, 
And that's the skill of selflessness. Mm, I don't um, have that one. It's a game that inspires students to put the needs of others in front of their own. And this is based on that uh, cascading mm-hmm. effect of, of playing the icons and the, the, your cards down. Sometimes I have to play a card that really is not that exciting to me to set up the next guy. And that doesn't happen a lot in, it's a, like I said, you can only find it in cooperative games. But uh, when I was playing with my daughter the other day, there was times where it's like, yeah, this really isn't a fun move, but she needs to move on her next turn. Yeah. I don't need to move, but I'm playing that down and and we're working together as a team. So I think that's a really good uh, skill that comes out in this one. Yeah. You can go in with gun blazing, but if it doesn't help anyone else on your team, you're not helping. There aren't many games that will review the recommended games of the week where that skill is featured. I, I agree with that. I, I do. So I wanted to throw that one out there. Um, That's good. Next one I have on my list is communication. Okay. Um, there's a lot. You know, we have some of, of cooperation, collaboration, those type of things that pop up. They have In our world, they have different definitions, but I really wanted to highlight the communication in this game. Um, we classify that as a game that fosters an environment in which students must share information, news, or ideas. And this one is uh, a lot of times cooperative games have what they call an alpha gamer problem where some somebody... Do you want me to move that game piece for you? you do you should, want me to yeah, tell you your yeah. next three moves? Can I, can I do that for you? And then I'll take my turn and then I'll tell you what your next move is. Is that yeah. what an alpha gamer is? Yeah, you All should right. do this, 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 and this. I've already calculated it out for you. Now do it. Um, this game takes that away because uh, you have your cards, they have their cards, and you have to communicate with each other on what you're thinking you may do. And it's not up to Michael to tell me what I'm supposed to do. It's us working together and communicating what cards we have. Because sometimes Michael may want to do something, and it's like, I can't help him do that because I don't have the cards. And we need to communicate and convey that information to each other. So that's why I put that one on our list. Uh, that's good. That is good. I I have one that you might push back on. I don't know, but... I I do. Uh, I actually have patience <laughs> on here. I I'll allow it. I, I well, that's good. Thank you for allowing <laughs> me to have a skill that I. That you can I have choose. an opinion. <laughs> All right. Let me tell you what your next skills are. Let me alpha game your skills. Who's alpha gaming over there? Uh, patience is a game that helps students to remain calm and better tolerate delays. Where this game truly unlocks patience, and I'm one of the most impatient human beings. Uh, I've ever met. I'm not a patient person. I've worked on it a lot over the years, but in playing this game where I felt that my patience was growing. So what you could say is you're impatient to meet somebody that has less patience than you. Yes, I am. (laughs) I I would love to meet somebody with less patience than me. He's been waiting Uh, for years. uh, But once, once once you start to make progress towards taking down the villain, uh, the villain actually gets to play quicker so you, whereas early in the game, I think you get two turns, three. right? Three turns. Th- three turns before the villain plays a card. Yep. As you beat him down, then eventually he's going every two turns. Yeah. And it's in that moment where I had to be thinking a move ahead. Okay. I need to set Doug up for success. So whereas Doug classified it as selflessness, I didn't see an ability to go for the knockout punch the first time I played as Tony Stark, Iron Man. I didn't see it when I had Captain America. There was really some patience and maneuvering within the game that I liked. 
that 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 I really liked. Each time I've played it, I've liked that. Well, and some some characters, like you said, are are more set up to be uh, helpful characters and are are more of assist yeah. in the basketball world. They're the yeah. the point guards assisting everybody. They don't really have their hero moment. If you've got a character like that, you are you know a, a kid is learning that that's mm-hmm. being helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, which goes right into my last one. Um, is teamwork is what I put on there. Again, like I said, there's a lot of different um, words that we have, collaboration, cooperation. I had collaboration. Collaboration. They're they're similar. Uh, We define teamwork as a game that promotes the collaborative effort of a group to achieve a common goal in the most efficient and effective way. Yeah. Um, I think that's a the difference there is that it's efficient it, it and, and effective. Yeah. You know, and this, you have a finite number of cards, so you are only going to be playing for so long. Another great part of the game is over in half hour. Yeah. Um, which is great as you can cycle through heroes and different villains. Um, so you have to use your cards wisely. You have to be efficient with them. You cannot waste time um, doing something that's beneficial only to you. You have to work with the other other players. Uh, so that's why I put uh, teamwork on there. So collaboration, cooperation, and teamwork all mean different things. And we define collaboration slightly differently. Uh, it's a game that challenges students to work together to produce or create something new. And we've used the word replayability. You could play the game again and again and again. I think it would be very difficult to have the same strategy in back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back games. You would almost have to have the... You disagree? I'm disagreeing with... with After hearing our definition of collaboration... um, Which I think you created, so I'm glad I could refresh that. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, I'm not sure that you're creating anything new. Come on, man. If you're playing the game with Black Widow and Captain America, that is a very different game than if you're playing with the Incredible Hulk and Captain America. Yeah, it's a very different game, but you you have to play the characters how the the characters work, but you're not creating anything new. That We have games on the shelf that we've played, and I won't call them out here, where you can do one strategy, and it's it's absolutely a winning strategy. And I I can do that and implement it, and I'm going to win in that game. I put collaboration on here as one of my top five skills because each time this game has been brought to the table, I have worked with whoever I'm playing in a new and different way to try to win. And so the the strategy changes very similar to how you had tactical sure. uh, and had broken that down. I, the, the strategy is, is recreated each time it's brought to the table. I wanted to just add one more piece that I really like about this, and maybe this isn't appropriate and you can cut it out. But the game's available. That's the other thing that I like about it. When, when this game first came out, I was able to walk into Walmart and get it at a very decent price. And it's also in, in Target and other big box stores. No, you're kind of questioning if it's a Target release. You might edit that out, but I know... Amazon's got it. Yeah, it's, Amazon's got it. Walmart's got it for sure. I'm not sure on Target yet, but there's nothing worse. It's than well available. It hearing is. about a game, getting hyped up for it, and then not being able to get your hands on it. I think yep. that that's. 
I, I don't like that. And with our recommended game of the week, it's available and it's at a decent price. Certainly at the time that we're talking about it, it's available. Um, if you listen to this four years from now, all bets are off. But at the time that we're talking about it, it's available. Um, the other thing you should know about games, they go in and out of print a lot. So yeah. um, it might might be out of print at the, the time that you're listening to it. If it's a popular game, it'll come back. But as of right now, it's available in abundance. The School of Gaming is sponsored by Production Probability, a skill builder for the modern classic Catan. Designed for grades 7 and up, Production Probability takes a behind-the-scenes look at one of the most popular board games of all time and provides students with the tools to understand basic probability and enhance in-game strategy. This 23-page skill builder uses a memorable and engaging method for introducing and reteaching probability. After completing the project, gamers improve their understanding of probability while making decisions involving wheat fields and forests. In the School of Gaming, we discuss concepts, keywords, etiquette, and helpful ideas in the world of gaming and education. This week, we'll be talking about teaching games. Doug will be covering that, and I will be covering the concept cooperative learning. All right. So, yeah, I'm going to talk about uh, teaching games. This is, can be frustrating for a lot of people, uh, especially people that are new to gaming um, teachers that are, you know, just presenting a game for the first time. So the first thing I want to say is that it's not uncommon for this to be uncomfortable for people. So don't be alarmed if, if you feel like you're bad at it, or it is an acquired skill. Uh, there's no doubt about it. So we're going to talk about ways that maybe you can improve that skill or do things a little bit different. So one of the things that you can do, which is great, is if possible is have everybody read the rules before they come to play the game. That doesn't happen very often, but if you could do it, that's great. Um, then everybody comes in with a working knowledge. If you are the one teaching the game, my number one tip for you is to start with the end first. Tell people how they win the game. Tell people how they score points. Um, you can get into all the minutia and the weeds of the game and then you're losing everybody because they don't know what it leads to. Tell them what the end is and then work back and then tell them how they earn those points. Tell them what they need to do to win the game. And if you just start with that simple trick, uh, that's going to go a long way uh, to help you teach games better. The other thing is try and figure out, try and stay out of the weeds. It's very easy to get into these uh, exception rules. You know, rules that pop up is like, if one person is here and another person is there and another person is here and they all try and do the same thing, then this one obscure thing happens. That doesn't need to be explained yeah, nobody in, cares. in the original teach. Get to uh, it when you get to it, right? Yeah, if it happens, address it then. So it's very easy. And, and, and as you're going through the rule book, if you're the one teaching it, make a note of what those areas might be that, that you don't get caught in them. Um, and maybe have a little filter of like, this is really important, mm, this maybe not so much, we'll deal with it when it happens. Again, it's an acquired skill. It's not something that you just wake up and you're great at. Um, some people might be. And trust me, Michael says I'm a great teacher. That is not 
You don't think you are. No, that's not yeah. the case. Every, I think everybody feels like they're doing a terrible job while they're doing it. Yeah. Um, and you have people that are... The, the hard part is, I guess, the people that you're teaching, that that group changes the feedback that you're getting. Some people are like, ah, just let's just start and I'll do it. And it's like, well, if we just start and do it, you're going to drive off a cliff and it's not going to be fun for you. So you how about to meet a shark? Yeah. We won't have a good <laughs> yeah. time. So how about we pull it back a little bit? And then you got other people that are asking every single question and it's like, yes, I'm going to get to that. I will get yeah. to that in two seconds. Just let me talk and finish it. So... There's a lot of variables that go in it, so don't feel bad if you're not not great at it. And and my last thing is, especially if you're in a classroom setting or a homeschool setting, it's like don't be afraid to go online yeah. and turn on a video. Yeah. Like Rodney Smith of Watch It Play it is a great resource. Um, we recommend them in our skill builders. Yep. If if he makes one, it's like it's a 15 minute video. Have your kids watch it. Have your students while watch you're it. setting up the game. And they're learning. He's he's engaging. It's fun. There's a newness and excitement to it, and don't be afraid to do that. Don't don't be afraid to utilize that that tool, because um, kids dig that type of stuff. Yeah. Um, so those are my tips for you know what you can do to kind of teach the rules a little bit better, um, maybe make that a, a less painful process. Well, that's a great suggestion about use the resources that you have. I know where I really struggle with teaching games is to my own family. Uh, my, my wife tends to ask a lot. She's very good at asking questions. However, semicolon, comma, a lot of times the questions come when I'm right in the middle of where I'm trying to get to, but she's smart. And so she's two, three steps ahead of where I'm at in, in teaching the rules. And then my daughters are just, it's their dad talking. So why are we going to listen? And the tip of using a video, Rodney Smith, you know, Doug just mentioned other times the game companies. Now, a lot of them produce their own tutorials and that that's, that's right where I go to, you know, in the rules, they'll have a little QR code or a website and I I'll set that up on the iPad or on my phone while I'm setting up the game. And, and Doug was right. It's seven minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And some of the games take that long to set up. And that's been a really good, uh, resource for me with my own family. Cool. So what do you got on uh, cooperative learning? Yeah, I, I I wanted to just start with cooperative learning. It's it's a, a strategy that, that goes back to the 1960s, and cooperative learning is what it sounds like. It's really where students teach each other. That's that's the bottom line, and I don't want to get too deep in, as you've been saying, into the weeds and talk about the philosophers and, and where it really comes from. I've made that mistake in the pilot episode, but for cooperative learning, it's bringing people together to learn and teach each other. Where you see this in, in place in, in the modern classroom, you walk into any single literacy classroom, especially, you know, grades one, two, and three, and you'll see that small group instruction. You'll see a teacher at a table with three or four kiddos. Then you'll see four or five kids, you know, working independently. Maybe somebody's taking a nap, but over in the other table, you'll see three or four students that are working together. Uh, and typically those, those kiddos have already been to the teacher table and now they're really seeing if, if they understand the concept. And it's, it's something that 
comes in and out of style. Like I said, the 1960s, that was a while ago. And we, we know all the different uh, things that have come in and out of education since then. But why, why are we talking about it here? Well, our notebooks, our skill builders, our discussion guides really build off of that cooperative aspect where it, it might be an older sibling teaching a younger sibling. It might be a more competent learner. And Doug makes fun of me where I use some of these terms, but teaching a, a more fragile learner. And um, cooperative learning at, at its essence is about putting the students, the learners in charge in a way where it's not just one teacher in front of the classroom. Unfortunately, a lot of our teaching models have gone away from that, but they're rooted in, in this idea that, no, kids can actually teach each other. And that's, that's where I wanted to jump in with cooperative learning. It's something that, that go, like I said, goes back to the mid-1960s and comes in and out of, of style. And you know, today we have blended learning and differentiated instruction and personalized learning, but a lot of those different types of learning models do go back to that cooperative learning and breaking down the wall so it's not just the teacher standing and wah-wah-wah-wah-wahing to the kids. I don't know if there's a trademark on that. You might need to edit out that. Yeah. We I'll just did. But. Just send a check to Charles Schultz. We'll be fine. To piggyback off that, there's there's two things I thought about while you're talking. One is anytime kids are playing games with each other, that's happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it's a cooperative game or not that, you know, and that's a beauty of young kids is that they're not afraid to share with each other and say, oh, you shouldn't do that. Or you need to play this card or, you know, they, they tend to be more helpful for each other. And one of my, you know, moments in that was at one point we had an open house at our house and I had a kid's game set up on one of the tables and Emily, our oldest, went over and was teaching some of the other kids how to play the game. And I was like, that was awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one of those things that you're, you're talking about cooperative learning and, and people don't do it as much as they used to or, or things like that. But when you see it happen, it's, it's kind of a magical mm-hmm. kind of thing to see because it just impresses you like, wow, I didn't even think that they were capable of that. And when you actually see it happen, it's like seeing a unicorn. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, and it's a shame that people don't, don't do stuff to to encourage that happening more often. Well, and cooperative learning has, it's integrated in a lot of other teaching and learning practices. It's a technique, it's a method, it's a model. Why I pulled it into this first segment of School of Gaming, it's a cooperative game. And sometimes as we get into the games and and really get into some of the gamer speak and gamer talk, they draw on other parts uh, of the world. And with the game today, I thought I, I, I need to pay homage to cooperative learning and, and really t- highlight that and talk about it. The High Five Challenge is brought to you by Exploring Ancient Wonders, a subject builder for Seven Wonders. Subject builders are a perfect tie into any game and provide valuable context before playing. From the Pharaohs to Alexander the Great, historic leaders commissioned wonders and ancient civilizations built a wide variety of magnificent structures. The board game Seven Wonders highlights the historic, must-see sites that shaped Western culture. In exploring ancient wonders, gamers explore the pyramids, bronze statues, temples, and monuments that comprise the Seven Wonders of the Ancient World. 
All right. If you're anything like us, you are constantly on the hunt for new games to try out. Each week for the High Five Challenge, Doug has a task. He is going to tell you about five family-friendly games. And so I give him the topic, sometimes right on the spot, sometimes with a little bit of notice. And this week's... Are you ready, Doug? I'm I ready. See you over there. Oh, yeah. You got that. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't I'm seen, sweating a little bit. I haven't but... seen Game Face on you before. <laughs> you looked ready. All right. This week's topic is train games. Five family-friendly train games. Go. All right. So I got two that didn't make the list. One, because I perceive it's a good game, although I have not played it. Now, one caveat. I'm confused. So you're bringing a seven tonight for your list of five? Yeah. All right, so the high five is a high seven. It's, no, it's not a, the Princess no. Bride. No, this is a high five. Six fingers, high five plus two. There's okay. only ones that I fully recommend. Mm-hmm. These are outliers that I thought you may get disappointed if they weren't on the list. Keep going. Um, but here's the thing. is Our recommended game of the week is always available or it's in stock when we're talking about always. it. Always. It has to be. Otherwise, we're not going to bring it to you. Yep. The high five, all bets are off. Okay. All right. Some of these, you you may hear about it and get excited. I'm sorry, it may not be available, well, but hunt if, it down. If you like to hurt people's feelings, I do. That's fine. I'm okay with it. I'll sleep fine tonight. Um, all right. So on the back end, because I know Michael likes it, is Irish Gage. Yes. Did, didn't make the list. So glad. Oh, it's in your plus two? No, it's in my plus two. Aww. Because I think it's a little too complicated. You're getting yeah. up into the upper ranges. If you got a kid that loves spreadsheets... They are going to go nuts on this one. The (laughs) fact that we haven't played it in my house, and I've had it for over a year, and it's one of my favorite games, tells you that it's not that family-friendly. But I love that game. Tell people about it Well, and when we say it's not family-friendly, that doesn't mean... (laughs) It's a little complex. Yeah, it doesn't mean that there's uh, inappropriate subject matter in it. Totally, G. Um, Yeah, it's a stock market game in which you're buying routes and uh, laying trains down on the board. That's it. I mean, it's a very stock market game game you're you're getting shares and depending on how the game plays out is how much those shares are going to be worth at the end of the game um fairly straightforward and it's a light stock market game so it's not there's some games where it's like it's a four-hour game this is under an hour all right now hold on we we gotta jump in i gotta jump in why i love this game (laughs) if you grew up in a house where there were shamrocks John F. Kennedy and Mary, wherever you went. If that was your house growing up, because I'll tell you what, that was my house. And this is a game. The board is a map of Ireland. Okay. So if that's the type of family you grew up in, you're going to like that game. Sorry. I know I got it's your high five. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And if your favorite Christmas carol is Christmas in Killarney, you're all covered, right? I think it's on the map, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It's it's a fun game for any of you Irish folks out there. All right. So I'm going to leave the other one off the list because I haven't played it yet. All right. So let's get onto the list proper. Number five, I have is Traintopia. The tile placing game, placing your tile out to build your track. You love this game. You give the description. Let Tell everybody about it. You are selecting different tiles. Think of coaster size when I say tiles. All right. And so on your turn, you can take a, a coaster size tile and add it to your track or... You could also take something that will help to improve your track, but it certainly isn't either or. So if we're playing with, it's a game why I like it, 
plays well with two players. It also plays well with four players. There's very little downtime. You're constantly on the move. And at the end, it's really about trying not to have a completely dysfunctional town built around your train track because (laughs) there are different pieces that can build on it. Uh, The only downside for me, it's color dependent, so I do struggle with that. That's why it doesn't get to the table more often for me. I like the colors. I like the feel of it. You get done in about 40 minutes. Um, so that's that's what my take on it. All right. So yeah, it's my, it's my number five. It was a good game. It's a good family weight. All right. Number four I have is Railroad Inc. I have not uh, played that one yet. Why do you have? Yeah, that yes, you have four? played that again. You've already played this one. You roll the, It is a roll and write game. You roll the dice and you have to put the oh, track. Yeah, I keep forgetting <laughs> that. I have played that. I like that game. Yeah, you, and you have to uh, uh, sele- you have to write down the dice or the the sides of the dice that come up, you need to fill out your map with those symbols, and you're trying to make the longest connections and longest routes. plays fairly fast. They've got two versions of it out. There's a, a blue and a red version, and I think they just kick-started a uh, green and a yellow. They're either kick-starting it or it's, it's coming out. So. I really wish you wouldn't have told me that, Doug. Uh, so they're... And all of them can be, I think, combined in some way or another. Um so that's my number four. Moving on, number three is a game called Colt Express. Now, Colt Express, I think, won the Spiel de, Spiel de Jars, but I'm not sure. If not, it was, it was certainly nominated. Um, this is a train game in which you are characters on a train, and it is a 3D cardboard train with different uh, rail cars. The fun part about this game is you are trying to collect uh, money and loot that's spread across the train, but you are playing your cards down in a programming way. Mm. So you're programming so other people don't know what you're doing, and you don't know what other people are doing. So everybody's playing the cards down in order, and then you flip them over and resolve them. That's a gnarly-looking game. It is awesome. It looks great on the table. New, uh, new to me. The only problem is if you have really large fingers... It can get a little fiddly. However, there it is hilarious when you think that you're going to, you know, punch the sheriff, so he drops his briefcase of money, and the sheriff's not there, and oh, you cool. punch somebody else into the next train car, and there's this hijinks that happens, and it's not one of those where you're. There's some programming games where you play cards down, and like your whole plan blows up, and you get really upset about it. This is one of those where normally funny things are happening because of the screw-ups. Okay. Um, you know, you go up to the top of the train and you're going to punch the person that you thought had the, the bag of money up there and that person is gone and you just punched into air. Oh, that's cool. Um, so great game, great on the table. That one should be readily available. Um, moving on to my number two is Ticket to Ride. You have that at number two? Yeah, it's my number two. You'll know why in a second. All right. So Ticket to Ride, all-time classic train game. Uh, there's over a million sold. So Eight you million probably, sold. Eight, Eight million. million. So sold. you probably have this. <laughs> yeah. So um, if you're the last person that doesn't have a copy of this in their house, it is a rummy-style game. So you're collecting different colored train cars to put your train pieces on a map to complete destination tickets. So you're trying to collect or connect Chicago to New York that type of process. You get more points the more more trains that you connect or uh, destinations that you connect. 
so that's Ticket to Ride. That's my number two. My number one is Ticket to Ride New York oh. slash Ticket to Ride London. These games, and I think there's a third one that just came out, uh, Amsterdam maybe. I think you're right. These are 15 to 30-minute versions of Ticket to Ride. It feels exactly like the feeling that I get from playing the Ticket to Ride without the hour playtime. Yeah. Uh, my oldest daughter, Emily, she's nine, loves these smaller versions. Okay. She can play the big version, but the bing, bang, boom it of this... It gets boring in the big version with young kids. Yeah. If the kids are too young and they're not, you know, you get blocked out of a way, uh, it can be frustrating for the kids. This one, you're over lickety split, and it also has another little scoring mechanism for each one. So... Um, in New York, you get passengers. No, no, you get points for one of them. You get a coin for each place that you visit, um, of the area. And I think the, the, one of them is just on the, the regions. It might be the number of boroughs that you visit in New York, okay. something along those lines. Uh, you get rewarded for each borough or section of the city that you're in. And I think the London one is more of a touristy one that you get like a coin if you stop at Buckingham Palace, that type uh. of thing. Um, so they're faster versions of Ticket to Ride. Everything that you like about it distilled in 15 minutes to a half hour. So that's why that one gets my number one. I feel like I can pull that out and play it with anybody, and they're going to be happy about it. Oh, well, that's awesome. So we've got Traintopia, Railroad Inc., Colt Express, Ticket to Ride, and then Ticket to Ride New York. London, Amsterdam, but the, the smaller version. All five are family-friendly games. And what what I've noticed about train games, when there's a good one, a better one seems to come out shortly after. There must be a market for people who like trains and train games and the pickup and delivery. So there's a lot of train games out there. All right, so that is the High Five Challenge of the Week. That's going to do it. That's this week's show. If you like what you heard today, consider subscribing to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, anywhere you listen to podcasts. And if you like what we're doing here, please consider leaving a review, but only if you plan on leaving a five-star review. Take a screenshot of your review and send it to us at GameSchoolerU, and, and maybe we'll work something out for you. And follow us on Twitter at GameSchoolerU to stay up to date and learn about what's around the corner. You can download your free copy of Naming a Virus today at GameSchooler.com, where we have a full database of our recommended games, along with new skill builders, subject builders, and discussion guides dropping all the time. So on behalf of Michael and myself, thank you so much for spending the last hour or so with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Now get out there and start game schooling.